Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Hello, Tom. Glad to see you're back with us today. Good morning, Russ. How are you? Fine. Did the plant survive the week? It sure did. And it's uh, it's living. It's green I, still. I'm having a hard time believing it. It's crazy <laughs> that you have that plant. So someday we're going to fix your background, though. I don't know. It's it's a little disorganized back there. No, no. We got dinosaurs made by kids and uh, a bunch <laughs> of technical books. I, I like my background. <laughs> and today we are joined by... Andrew Workin. So where do you work, Andrew? What do you do? Where do you live? Tell us all about you. So I'm up in Toronto, Ontario. I should say Toronto, Ontario. And uh, I am uh, run strategy at Blue Cat Networks, where I've been for about seven years now. Okay. So you're the strategy guy. At Blue Cat I'm the strategy guy, which, you know, I look, I joined Blue Cat as the chief technology and product officer a number of years ago. And uh, at some point over the last year or two, as we continue to grow, which is a great thing, I really want to create more scalability and sort of take a step back from get new blood in looking at where the organization was and uh, and just driving, really having more peers, quite frankly. And so, yeah, I'm focused on where we're going, what's happening to the market, which was part of my old job, but now, you know, mostly what I do. All right. Well, that's good. And today we are talking about naive reliance on automation. I think it's a big deal. We tend to just throw, I mean, I always say that you can't get rid of complexity. You can either throw it over the, you can just throw it over the cubicle wall. And we tend to be doing a lot of throwing it over the cubicle wall to the, to the guys who are trying to, the guys and gals who are trying to do the automation stuff and just thinking that, you know, if we could just automate everything, it would be so much simpler and so much easier. And, and I think that's a really kind of naive view because you've got to simplify the system for real rather than just automating it. So what do you think? Any thoughts? It, it, it's actually, uh, there's a bit of, of irony there, right? Because if you're trying to automate to make it simpler, you're actually potentially making it more complicated because now you're adding a bunch of software on top to automate things. <laughs> And that software is going to be complicated and it's more stuff to maintain. And since it's a bunch of complexity, if that software is not really elegantly delivered on the automation side, it's going to be really difficult to change and, and you're not going to be any faster. In fact, you'll probably be slower. Yeah. I think there's two directions you can go with it. The first is what you said there, which is that the software itself adds complexity and we often forget that we seem to think that if i can just put all the complexity into a controller i've hidden the complexity in this in this little box that's hanging out out there a virtual box or whatever it is and i just don't need to worry about it anymore and that just doesn't happen or doesn't work um, and we tend to not realize that there's an interaction surface between the devices we're managing and that software that does the management and that interaction surface itself is very deep and very broad and therefore very complex. And minor changes can cause massive ripples throughout your network um, just because of that piece. I think that's, that's a good place to start is like we, we just don't realize that this is complex in and of itself. Doing the automation is complex in and of itself. 
Absolutely. And it needs to be, in, in many cases, not all cases, but thought of as, as software. So it's, it's something that needs to be maintained. But, you know, automation, automation is a broad, broad topic, right? You know, I, I don't like to do anything manually, period. And I certainly don't like to do anything twice. So, so I automate a lot of my daily workflow, but it's just for me versus something that's, that's sustainable, that needs to be sustainable, that's going to production, you know? So, so a huge proponent of automation. I just think that um, too often, especially, you know, when you have people that aren't traditionally software developers now automating, which is fantastic, learning new skills, but, but there's not necessarily initially appreciation for a software development lifecycle as part of that process when that automation is substantive. So let's go through some of the some of the complexity you face in doing an automation system and building an automation system just so that listeners get a sense, you know, how simple it is to do this, but how hard it is. So let's back into something very simple like security. So if I'm going to build the system, I'm going to have open APIs on my network that some management workstation or some automation server has to be able to access. Well, that is an attack surface, right? That is right. something that we don't often think about. So security is, is, is one thing. Another one I often think of is supply chain. I am throwing out open source stuff out there. I'm grabbing it off of GitHub. In fact, I've been involved in controller projects where they basically just trolled GitHub and um, Stack Overflow and drug out code from everybody who's doing the little bits and pieces they want and just munging it all together and producing a system and there was no concept of what supply chain security might look like or forking things rather than just grabbing them directly off of GitHub or whatever the case might be. Any experience in those areas or thoughts in like other places where security comes into play? I mean, that GitHub and Stack Overflow problem is pervasive in software in general beyond just automation. And there's some good tools out there, at least to mine a source code base to look for things that may have been just pulled off for, you know, even if it's just for copyright violations, but certainly, you know, too, that that's too often the, you know, the developer workflow. I don't know how to do this. Let me Google. Fine. Here's somebody's suggestion on Stack Overflow. There's a check mark next to it. Fantastic. Now it's in production, you know, <laughs> but regardless, you know, many corporations have very specific requirements around security, for instance, and security for APIs and how that should work. And a more mature organization might have mechanisms in place to secure those open APIs. Um, and uh, whether they're front-ended in some sort of API gateway or elsewhere, but that's a level of maturity that a lot of companies aren't at. So for sure, you know, like, um, and you get into, okay, so, you know, initially I'm going to release this open API on just HTTP or of a self-signed cert for HTTPS or all, you know, it, it's, there's all sorts of levels of that, but then auditing who did what, when, role-based permissions, making sure the right people have the right access to the right things. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's definitely a lot of complexity there. And, and we've seen, we've seen, um, I, I think, I think the, the, the worst case I've seen in production, and obviously I won't mention the company name, but, but we had a customer where, you know, somebody who's learning to automate was was playing around against production and they didn't quite know what permissions and roles this person should have because they were experimenting. So he was given like supreme administrative, you can do anything to anything access. 
in production as he was testing code and literally, you know, wrote something with a little bug in it that deleted every single DNS record in the entire system. And, you know, that's not a security issue. That's just a, well, it's, it's a policy issue in general, you know, but, but yeah, for sure there's issues, you know, but, but on that, on that supply chain side, Russ, I don't know if you saw this, this came out like three or four months ago, I think, but some security researcher had found a mechanism to, you know, when, when you build software these days, whether it's Python or Ruby or, or Rust or Java, it doesn't really matter. You know, you're, you're downloading as part of the process, all of these packages that you're depending on and all these wonderful packages that are available in open source. And, you know, so people are using them and even, you know, hopefully there's a process to assess them, but regardless, they're using them and found a way to insert in, you know, malicious code into that process. So there's all sorts of potential security issues there. I think the security issues uh, highlight something that, you know, kind of going to the the idea of naive reliance on automation. I think yeah. th this highlights, you know, the security posture highlights one issue, which is once you build something and it starts to work really well, it's your, it's your tendency to move on and solve other problems, regardless of of how secure the solution was. And so you get into a situation operationally where you're you are dependent on this infrastructure that you built. And then you discover that it, it wasn't built with security in mind. And so now you've got to go back. And now that impacts all sorts of other workflows that are now hanging off of this thing that you have to take out of service and do threat modeling and all these things. And, uh, you know, big, big consequences for putting something into production that you don't quite, you know, fully understand. A hundred percent. And, and, and part of that, you know, it, it's usually not the intent of whoever developed this automation script or published this API or whatever it is to build something that was insecure, it, it's more of a, you know, it's like a form fit and function issue. It's a, this person needed to develop something to do something in an automated way for this specific use case. Other people are like, oh, cool, I need that. And the next thing you know, there's 500 people pounding on it and ship has sailed. But it was, wasn't, wasn't the person's expectation that it would be used in this way. It wasn't, there was no requirements. I mean, I don't mean a big fat requirements document, but you know, when you build something, usually you know, you, you don't want to make all these heavyweight processes. You want to drive innovation. You want people to automate at scale. Fantastic. But that, what you mentioned, Tom, is just it happens all the time, right? I, oh my God, they're using that that way. You know, like I didn't write that for that. And you, you hear that over and over and over again. I wonder sometimes what uh, engineers that work on ladders think of what people are <laughs> using ladders for, right? There's all sorts of things you could use it for that it was not ever meant for and it's not safe. And <laughs> well, but that, that's also like the American, like litigious, where like, have you ever read the warnings on the side of a ladder? Like, do <laughs> right. not place on top of manure pile. Do not place on top of like every place somebody sued somebody for an injury, you know, and you're just like, yeah, it's a ladder. Yeah. Of course I'm not going to, but regardless. Well, maybe we need to develop those warning labels for the stuff that we build, right? Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> Do not use this for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some metadata you can add. And everybody would add everything to begin with if they're fearful it'd be used in different ways, you know? Well, right. And I think that's something we forget when we build automation systems is that this stuff is never used for what we intend it for. It's used to the extent of its usability, so to speak, like what could you imagine it being used for or what could you not like, what have you not prevented it from being used for almost, you know, the latter example, everyone uses wrenches as a hammer. Everyone uses hammers as a screwdriver, right? You know, it's ubiquitous and it's wrong, but it's human nature to take the tool that you have at hand. 
And when we build these systems, we don't tend to think about people misusing them. So we do things very narrowly, which comes into the whole security issue. Like, so you've thought about this and you've built this API to do this, but you've never thought this, what would happen if somebody got in the network and then misused that API that you just created? How does that work out? And what have you given them when you do that? So, yeah, I think, I think security is a big one. Supply chain security is a big one. So what about CICD is another complexity thing, Tom? I know you're looking at this, so maybe you might want to say something about this is yet another area people don't think about when they're doing automation. Right, kind of going back to Andrew's comments about the lifecycle SDLC. Yeah. If you start building something with the idea that you're going to continuously test it and can continuously validate that it is operating as it should. I, I think you find a lot better success, but I'm curious what, from your perspective, Andrew, your, your customers or the people you deal with, do they, do they think about CICD as a way to improve their operations? Is that something that's on the radar for most people? You know, CICD, I, I, especially in our large enterprise customers, there's tons of investment there, right? And there's there's all these new tools out there and all these new processes, and it's uh, there's a lot of investment in that area right now. But it, it, you know, where does that hit for things like automation? Like the, you're more likely to see that in applications that they're developing to be delivered either internally or to customers or something like that, and maybe on the automation to go deploy those things, right? But somebody is writing automation to you know update routes across a whole series of you know networking devices or something like that how are those things tested and i i rarely i rarely see cicd for for anything like that and because oftentimes they're one-offs or you know which obviously takes the continuous out of it but you know because Part of that CI, part of the complexity of automation, and, and and this goes for cloud too, is you know scripts that you might write, whether they're just like CLI automation scripts or you're actually using APIs a few years ago, didn't have the dimension of whatever you're writing these against is changing faster than you can deal with, you know. So your script might be 100% works perfectly, tested every way from you know possible under every potential use case, every failure case is dealt with. And then whatever you're automating with gets upgraded and APIs break and, you know, everything goes down. And how did you know? So between CICD and and other mechanisms, like there has to be a way to continually test this stuff, you know, otherwise everything just slows down to a, a halt. But um, yeah, we see a, we see a ton of it and we see a lot of usage of our, like as a vendor, our APIs during CICD, because I'm going to deploy a new application, I'm gonna need this zone, and I need, you know, I'm gonna deploy these hosts, I need these IP address, I need these networks, I need whatever the case. So CICD in general try, tends to drive a lot of usage of our application, um, but, but you know, I don't know how much it's used from a like um, network automation perspective that's outside of the scope of the automation in order to deploy that service. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that echoes my experience too. It's it's generally a lot more difficult to build a pipeline that tests infrastructure than it is to build a pipeline that tests applications for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's a problem we've always had because we, we you know, with our DNS and DHCP servers, like, you know, you, you um, can't just throw a bunch of DHCP servers on a network 
And then how am I going to automatically test like the scale we need or all the different potential options or generate all the clients or generate this or generate that to make sure it's a valid test, you know? So it becomes very complex on the networking side, which is great. CICD is fantastic for that. But, you know, and a lot of, a lot of vendors have like test harnesses, right? Like, you know, you can buy like a uh, Cisco ACI test harness or a, you know, and, and that's good it's way better than nothing or having to buy like a have completely segmented labs for all this sort of stuff. But the question always is like, is CICD or, or testing against those platforms, does that represent enough of production that the test is valid or are there are other things that need to be done? And, um, you know, un, un, unfortunately, and this is no comment on, I've never actually used the ACI test harness, so it's absolutely no comment on Cisco, but my experience in general are those test harnesses have limitations in terms of how how likely you are to find something after you push to production. Yeah, I, th I think the, the key for success there is that you need to build a test harness. You can't, it's yeah. not really something you can realistically buy, not for infrastructure testing at least. Right. And, and th this kind of gets into, if you want to catch problems before they manifest in production, there is a cost for that. And so you yeah. have to sit down and say, well, what's the cost of production going down once in a while versus what's the cost of maintaining all these environments and doing all the testing and you have to do the math and figure out which one is uh, going to be more important for me. And right. can we live with some downtime, you know? No, for sure. And, but also part of CICD, right, is, is it, well, in, in this whole idea of, of continuous, right? And, and there's lots of examples where that suggests what I'm about to say is, is obviously not always true, but it's way easier to make a series of small changes yep. than it is wait four months and make some massive change to the infrastructure. And so if you've got CICD going and you've got this pipeline of changes that are being made or automation that's being run or whatever the case might be, then, uh, okay, something goes to production, it's small. Do you have the, you know, are you collecting the appropriate data to make sure it's behaving correctly? Uh, do you, can you programmatically undo the thing that you did, you know, uh, so that if, if it starts going haywire, just revert back to the old state, you know, and these are, these are, you know, practices that you can put into place to try to guard against um, inadvertently you know, uh, taking down the system, but, but you see all the time. I mean, you know, a huge SaaS company the other week had a massive downtime based on a DNS issue. It wasn't a problem with DNS. It, it, you know, when they, when they described the issue, it was somebody bypassed a process that they shouldn't have bypassed. I think that was the issue, you know? And so they, they took the, you know, did, executed process B instead of process A and therefore they went down. And, and at some point there's, there's always human error. And which, which leads to, I mean, this is a huge part of software in general and should be a practice in automation is, you know, whenever anything fails, people need to be not guarded, not your fault, not my fault, not try to hide, but learn and learn and learn because that's the beauty of any sort of CICD or, you know, when it fails, because it will fail, learn from it and make sure we don't do it again. When it happens again, then that guy or whoever, that team, whatever, should be a little bit ashamed. But the first time, you know, like things are going to fail. So, yeah, that to me is the golden opportunity of a CSCD pipeline. You get to encode your failures as like directly encode, put your failures into a testing pipeline 
that makes sure that that human error is forever expunged from, you, well, not expunged, but, but you, you, you can prevent every, like you do not have to make mistakes twice if you're using a pipeline, which I think is just really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the pipeline gets better and better and better until it potentially falls over because it's too, whatever the case, but you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> but, but again, just like we were saying with automation, CICD is code, you know? So, you know, you're writing a bunch of code in that process and ultimately there's defects in CICD and there's defects here, there's defects there, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, all of it ironically builds complexity as well, but when it's working well and it, it's a, it's a different thing you need to measure, you know, like, um, I'm not going to remember the name of the book, so I can't give this person credit, but, but anyway, I was reading recently, maybe I'll remember it later and tweet it out or something, but, uh, where, where, you know, when you look at what you need to measure and, and you're pushing CICD, you know, you, you, you need to sort of shift that measurement. So you're looking at successful automation and successful deployments and measure a little bit differently than, um, you know, okay, we've automated all this stuff. Well, great. How much was, you know, actually succeeded, you know, and, uh, and that's what customers tend to struggle with is like when I'm coaching my customers, I'm constantly telling them that like, you know, the, 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 so automation started in, in the network team with network professionals, engineers, the people who maintain the stuff manually, historically can't possibly keep up with the number of changes. So they're going to automate it. So they're automating their jobs so that they can do their jobs more successfully. And now it's their customers. Now other people in the organization want to go deploy a network or, you know, and so now, now you're, you're giving these APIs to somebody who doesn't know what's going to happen when the API is called. They just know there's this API for adding a network. They're going to call it, you know what I mean? And so where you as a network professional could look at a complex set of arguments or, you know, understand the context of these arguments or look at an error message that, you know, and, and expect that you might get this error message and go, okay, well then I'll do it this way and guard against it. Now you've got potential consumers of these APIs that don't know that stuff and shouldn't have to learn it and shouldn't know that their DNS vendor is BlueCat or their switching vendor is Arista or it doesn't matter to them, right? It, it's, they just need an API to go do something. And therefore you need to shift the business logic has to be added to the API. You can't expect the end user to add the business logic. You need to encode what you know into that API. And, and that's like Russ, some other, I think some other conversation we're having just about complexity in general, it's, it's, you know, the, the complexity has to be dealt with the, the, the areas like where in the stack is it, you know, based on the requirements for that end user. And in some cases you can, you can give that end user something way simpler if and only if the complexity you've dealt with the complexity, like you've coded it in, you know, where stuff might fail, you know, if that's going to fail, then I need to try this. Well then do that, you know, but don't expose that to somebody. It's too dangerous to, it's the guardrails you need as you push the stuff out. But you know, you can't only have those guarded APIs because you're going to frustrate the hell out of an expert user because they can't do their job, you know? Uh, so it's, it's just, you know, different APIs for different levels of, of, um, of expertise is the wrong word. It, it, it just different use Exper cases, experience and use cases. Yeah. 
I think that idea is really important, Andrew. I think that the, the idea that you would encode your experience into the automation that you're building, that is the difference between naive um, implementations and really mature ones and ones that have great business value, I feel like. if you And it's a totally different skill set to encode your experience into an automation chain, tool chain. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And those are the beautiful APIs that get implemented. You know, like I call this API and... I don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. I just know it always works, you know, and I don't get exposed to things that I don't understand or want to know the, you know, if, if you, if you have an API with a bunch of arguments that the caller can't possibly know the right answer to, like, what should they put there? Then it's going to be used in ways that you didn't expect. They're going to put anything. They're going to, the first thing that works, they'll start using and they'll always use it. And we see it over and over and over again, you know, so why are you even exposing that argument to them if they don't not? So come up with a higher level concept for that argument. You know, somebody might be requesting a network or something like, let's say they're requesting a subnet. The things they may know are, you know, should this thing be, should this thing route to the internet? Should it be routable from the internet? Should it be, you know, like there's things they may know, what location should this thing be in? This data center, this cloud or whatever the case. But they're not going to know specific IDs of, you know, switches, or they're not going to know like a VPC ID and AMD, like things they won't know, you know? And so just give them the appropriate arguments so that basically they can, it, it's, look, this stuff happens all the time, right? In, in the days of old, you got a help desk ticket and the help desk ticket said, need new network here, here, here. And, and at some point, like these horrible uh, nothing against BMC or the tool remedy, but these horrible remedy systems I've used in the past where like, there's like five tabs of questions to fill out, you know, like who's the billing, you know, what departments is related to describe this, describe that. And then that eventually got to some network engineer who knew what to do with all that stuff, you know, and half the questions were like, nobody cares about that for three years since, you know, but they're still there and you need to fill them out. And, and, don't model your API after help desk tickets. <laughs> well, I think I think you can go further than that. I think that uh, a lot of the difference here is that the difference between someone who's automating something who understands how it works, right, versus somebody who just knows how to configure it, right. And so, if you're looking at DNS and you say I need a new DNS record, if you're automating it and you just know how to configure the DNS server then you're going to ask essentially all the stuff the DNS is going to ask you, the, 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 the interface is going to ask you to set it up. Right. But, you know, if you, if you know you need to create an A record or a C name or whatever it is, you're just going to ask for all the stuff that's in there. What should be in the text field? What should be in the whatever it is? And if you actually understand DNS, you're going to ask, okay, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give this particular host a name that people can reach. So let's go back up and figure out what your objective is. And I'll translate that in the automation system into doing the right thing in DNS to make that work. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know what a really good DNS example is, is like a zone delegation. I'm going to, I need to delegate a zone from the central system that I'm going to go deploy over here. So you don't want user going in and creating some, you know, NS records and, you know, SOA record at this zone apex, then new zone, whatever the case. And you, you don't want to delegate a zone, you know, like 
create a lame delegation or, or, or that DNS server isn't even alive or you can't communicate with it. So if I want to delegate a zone from here to there, then the API should make sure that the end state, when I return a 200, when I say this worked, it works, you know, and, and don't ask them, don't have them call like five different APIs to create NS records or create this or create that or create that. Just, I need a sub zone off of this zone delegated there. Do I have permissions? Yes. Is that server there? Yes. Is everything set up correctly there? Yes. You know, and most people understand, I mean, if, if you're in and around DNS, you understand how delegation works in DNS, how the entire system works. But very few people need to know what records need to be created where in order to appropriately delegate a zone. Right. I think that's a great illustration of what Russ was saying. If you understand the underlying mechanics of DNS, then this is a fairly simple exercise for you yep. to encode this into an automation tool chain. But if all you ever did was open up your, you know, your zone file and type in some text and change the serial number and reload bind, if that's all you ever knew how to do, you're not going to have, it's going to be harder for you to build uh, an automation tool that, that does that well. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You were, you were, you were following a cookbook, a standard operating procedure. Right. And, and, and if you were asked to encode that, then you would write a script that edited the zone file and added records to it, as opposed to think about the user, do it appropriately, make sure it works. Yeah. So I think another place where we're pretty naive about automation systems is we don't think about the tools that we're using and whether or not they're designed to be automated. We take a hammer and we build this really complex Ruby Goldberg contraption around it to hammer nails rather than just going and buying an, an air nailer. And we do that a lot. We saw this in the early days very badly when there was no way of getting to automation with some of these things like routers and switches other than screen scrape and push text. Right. And we tend to fall in, we tend to fall into using the wrong interface, the non-automatable interface because we're familiar with it or we just tend to use tools that really weren't designed to be automated. I think this is probably really true even with DNS as well as routers. It's probably more so true with routers and switches than with DNS, but I think there are still DNS systems that, and IPAM systems that are just not designed to be automated. They're just, they're not built that way. No, a hundred percent. And also either not built this way, and this goes through all of them, or like, you know, can be, not engineered for the use case that the end user is trying to automate, you know, so, or, or like, you know, uh, in other words, once you give them the API, they can do anything. Uh, you, you know, you have 4 million IPv6 records in the IPAM system. As a naive automator, I might be trying to find, optimize, whatever, and I might, step one, extract the 4 million records, you know, and that might take a long time that might stress a system that might lock tables that might, you know, and so, so there's a, um, there's that angle too. So it, even if it has all the APIs, you know, it, it might not have been engineered to automate at scale is my point, you know, like it, it was just sort of slapped on at the end. Now we have APIs without understanding what the impact of the system might be, you know, and we, in all transparency, I mean, we have a, we have a customer who automates everything is always automated everything in an unpredictable way. All of the APIs are open to everybody in IT. Anybody can do anything they want against anything. And when they started using our product years and years and years ago, 
that's not how the product was. It wasn't, it didn't assume there'd be 2000 people just throwing whatever API they felt like at it. Cause it was this, this treasure trove of data and this company was doing some really cool stuff with it. Like, you know, automatically creating firewall rules or, you know, pulling all this data out of IPAM and, and it became an essential part of so many workflows there. We love it. But years ago, especially like, you know, that, that wasn't the way the system was designed, you know, and, and obviously we responded to that, but, but, you know, there's that side of it too, just because a system has an API, just because it works in this small test case, doesn't mean it will work at scale. I mean, not that this show is all about CICD, but that's another, it's another, that's another reason to think in terms of a pipeline, because you can expose your ignorance about the system that you're automating against pretty quickly. Right. Uh, and then once you find something that you think, well, what, well, what happens if I, what happens if I do this a thousand times? What happens if I do it a million times? Then you can, in your dev environment uh, with your pipeline, you can discover that before it impacts a bunch of people. Yeah. A hundred percent. But again, like, like as long as you have the infrastructure to, right. to test that way, you know, which, which is like the, the example on the DNS side is, is, you know, we all DNS vendors publish information about like queries or responses per second. Mm -hmm. Right. And okay, so how did you test that? You know, you didn't, you didn't, you're not recursing a bunch of queries to the internet because that is non-deterministic. On any given day, in any minute, any hour, some servers might be down, the internet might be bogged down. So you're doing it under some optimal lab conditions where you've stubbed out a bunch of, but does is the is the cardinality of the different DNS records you're querying look like a production workload or are you querying the same record that's already in cache a bazillion times? Like, what are you actually testing? You know, and so my point on the CICD side is, and this team's, you can't read the book on CICD and go, ah, so I'll do it this way and everything worked perfectly. CICD, and that's the beauty of it as software, it, it's, you know, you're going to miss and it will get better over time. You know, and, and when you realize that this doesn't actually accurately predict performance or scale of something, you're, then you adjust. That goes lessons learned because you can't know that stuff up front, which is, which is you know, the frustrating part uh, oftentimes with management with software. Like you, you expect a, um, you know, it, it takes, you know, it takes a certain amount of time to do this, you know, but there's just so many unknowns, especially with automation, because you're going against so much third party, you know, that you can't know. You have to test. In other words, test is also, in, I mean, there's test first development, yada, yada, yada. The, the point though is test is a way to explore as well. Right. And the real world offers some important lessons that you cannot learn in the, in the pipeline. Yeah. You, never should they be the same, right? You know, but the, the question just is, are you at some point in maturity of CICD, you will understand the limitations of your CICD compared to production. And therefore you will plan for the things that you need to closely observe in production because you're not able to predict that behavior in CICD. And that's when you're really wise. That's when you're really mature because now, now, you know, you're not just throwing stuff over the wall via CICD, you're testing it. You're constantly changing that, but at some point you're taking that risk. Otherwise you're building two data centers or two, like, you know, having a mock set of employees doing the same stuff or, you know, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. So yeah. you take, you take measured risks and, and you, you know, the risks and you observe and you look at the behavior and, and then you try to figure out how to mimic that behavior at a simpler level at, in CICD. 
Awesome. Well, I think we've kind of covered it. We're at 39 minutes, so maybe we should quit, even if we haven't. <laughs> yeah. I'll probably talk all day. No, no, it's great, this, actually. This, this is a very passionate topic for me, both because our, you know, I work with so many of our customers and, and employees and others that are trying to automate, plus I've been building software my entire life, so I love this stuff and can talk about it forever. So yeah. hopefully that wasn't just some meandering conversation no, for us. No, 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 no. I all think right. it was actually really good. I think we hit a lot of the naivety points that people run into security, CICD, not thinking about APIs, not thinking about whether things are designed to be automatable, you know, all of those things that you run into, complexity, you know, people just think they're going to throw throw um, automation at a problem and solve it, and it's really not that simple. Not that automation is bad or wrong, it's just you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to really 100%. think about what you're doing. Yeah. So, Andrew, where can people get in touch with you if they want to? Um, I know there's a VIP Slack. I know you're at Blue Cat. Is there any, do you blog or any, or LinkedIn or whatever else? Yeah. So LinkedIn for sure. Andrew Wardkin, the only one in the world. So if you find me, it's me. <laughs> and nice. Twitter, I'm at A Wardkin and the normal social media channels. All Please right. do get in touch. Awesome. And Tom. Yes. No blog yet. But LinkedIn still, yeah, we keep seeing that. And LinkedIn <laughs> and Twitter, right? Yep, LinkedIn and Twitter. Tom Ammon, that's Tom where Ammon. I am. All right, great. I'm Russ White. You can always find me at rule11.tech on the hedge, on the VIP Slack. I don't know, wherever else. Who knows? I'm around here and there. So thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech. 